The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Remain standing. Take your Bibles, please. And turn to Genesis chapter 48. This is a significant message. I say, isn't every message significant? Probably. But I just believe it's timely. I believe it really is the word of the Lord. It happens to be the next message in the series on studies in the life of Joseph. It is my deep prayer for you that as we look and study these 21 verses of scripture out of Genesis 48, that you would find and glean truth that would be written on the, the very fleshly tablets of our heart and that it would go forth from this place changing your family, changing our community, and even have far-reaching effects to eternity. Let's read the text and then we'll pray. You ready? Lord, give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. In Jesus' name, here we go. Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. Some time later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel. Now Israel and Jacob is the same man. Also Israel becoming a nation from the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel. Let's keep going. Your son Joseph has come to you. Israel rallied his strength, sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, right, Jacob or Israel, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful. I will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. And I will give this land, an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, verse 5, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned, reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine. He's adopting them. Just as Reuben and Sibion are mine, any children born after them will be yours in the territory they inherit. They will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? Would you say that? Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. And Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age. He's about 140. And he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him. And his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed from them, from Israel's knees, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand. And he brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head though he was a younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn, verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on Manasseh, Ephraim's head, pardon me, 
He was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. I want you to say that. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will take you back to the land of your fathers and to you as one who is over your brothers. I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Father, we thank you. Come and mess us up with truth. Lord, come and speak. Break through the fog. I bind, gag, and muzzle every assignment of distraction over us, over your people, those online, those that will listen at a later date. Release living understanding that we would be transformed in our homes, in our hearts, our children, great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as the case may be. Lord, move in power right now. Release revelation that causes revolution for us, even all the days of our life, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Significant message, if you can listen, I will do my very best under the unction of the Spirit by God's grace to communicate to you with as much clarity as I can. God is a multi-generational God. Say, my God, my God is a multi-generational God. When you read through the scriptures, he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And now he becomes really the God of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Kind of amazing as he's a passing, he's releasing this blessing. I, I want you to know that God's intention for you, God's plan for you, is to see you prosper and walk in the, the grace of God all the days of your life. His plan for you is to never have a broken heart. His plan for you is to be married and stay married. His plan for you is to succeed in all that you do. God is not a child abuser. He didn't save you and teach you to swim to let you drowned. He wants to bless you, wants to help you, wants to strengthen you. And he has a destiny. He has a purpose. He has a plan for your life. So God's plan and his intention is to bring you into it, but you have to partner with him. God sees families. God's plan is really families. Hasn't the enemy worked overtime to destroy families, remove fathers, bring fatherlessness, divorce, unprecedented destruction in families? I was talking with somebody who has been taking notice of those who have fathers and those that don't. It's a sad story with with children that have no fathers and, of course, a sad story with children that have no mothers. I mean, they're modeling guiding them, directing them, praying for them, just as Jacob or Israel does here in the blessing of these two and Joseph and a rearranging of the the tribes of Israel, really. It's a fascinating text of Scripture. One of my favorite verses that impacts me and is, uh, it's just good to bring myself back to is Genesis 18, verse 19. And uh, it'd be worth turning there. The context of Genesis 18, 19 is this, that God has come, these three travelers, one is the, is, is the angel of the Lord, none other than Jesus, a theophany, a visible manifestation, Here in the Old Testament, Genesis 18, verse 19, the context is Sodom and Gomorrah 
are about to be judged. That's the context. And Genesis 18, verse 19 says, and I have known him. So Abraham is, is there, but he's not a part of the conversation. They're kind of talking. It's the Lord talking and, and talking about purpose and such. Watch this. For I've known him. Who? Abraham. For I've known Abraham in order that he command he may command his children. Let's stop. So God is, let me, let me just say uh, to uh, Pastor Barry, Brother Barry Haggerty, God knows you for the purpose that you can command your children. I mean, that's pretty serious. I mean, that's pretty serious. The government speak to you. He said, well, I don't have any kids. Well, you've got people you're influencing. You can have spiritual children, whether you have children that came from your own loins or not. So God knows you for the purpose of actually commending your children. Of course, to be saved. I mean, don't, don't boil this down to mean something. If I say something that sounds unscriptural, I didn't mean that. Right. <laughs> Smile at me. I've known him in order that he command his children and his household after him. Fascinating. Let me just pick on, let me pick on you. Come. So, so God has known Abraham. Here's Abraham that he would guide and direct his children and his household after him. So you have a son I happen to know, very anointed, Zach. He married this wonderful lady, met in, in Bible college. Her name is Mandy. Do you have taught them? You have instructed them? I should get mom up here. Sarah, sort of. And so you've instructed your kids now so that Zach and Mandy, right? And of course, Mandy has her own family line that she comes from, so that they would what? So that they would then commend their household after him, and one day you're going to pass on into glory. Right? right? And guess who's going to be carrying the torch? Zach and all your other children. So it's not just about the blessings of God and the favor of God on your life. It's about you teaching them, teaching them what? Let's, thank you. Put your hands together for these guys. Teaching them what? That they may keep the way of the Lord. The, the, the Lord has a way. Man has a way. It seems right to him. The Lord has a right way. There's a right way to live. You love God according to his, his designation or uh, definition. You love him if you obey his word. Don't tell me you love God and live like the devil. That's not true. You're a liar. That's a liar. That's not true. You love God that you live for him or you're, you don't, you're not focused on sin. You're endeavoring to try to overcome that and beat it and become more like Jesus. Somebody say amen. All right. Your household after him, they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord, that the Lord at sign language may bring about what? The promise that he's spoken to Abraham. So Abraham has, do you have any promises, Brother Haggerty? Our promises that God gives, there's 8,000 of them in scripture. They're the basis by which you pray. So God gives promises to families. If, you, if you're myopic in your view and think it's all about you, once again, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's your own selfish thinking. It is certainly not about you. It is about the generations. It is about the ones that will come and hold the torch, run with the baton. It is the ones that are coming after. And it is a sad, sad generation that doesn't have any vision to realize that they're not supposed to pass the torch and do everything they can to see these ones walk in destiny walk in purpose to see that. and if you don't have kids there's lots of kids that need fathers and mothers to see this next generation rise up because the promise for Abraham was multi-generational and too vast and too big for one dude even though he was the, the father of faith and the promise for you and your family is far bigger than just you your mom your dad it's multi-generational And so God wants to raise up and to release multi-generational, I've called it releasing multi-generational visionaries. That's what I've entitled the message. Abraham was a visionary. Isaac was a visionary. Jacob was a visionary. They're leaders. They're people filled with the purposes of God. It drove them. They held on to it. We need to raise up and release a generation like that. We need to raise up and release Davids. We need to raise up and release people, Gideons. We need to raise up and release like men of old, people of faith, people that walk in the fire, people that, people that can preach, pray, prophesy, whether you're called to be a preacher or not. Everyone is called to share the word. You could be an ordained plumber. You you can be an ordained military person. Come on, you can be an ordained housewife. Come on, whatever you're doing, you ought to do it under the glory of God. Every one of us are called to make an impact and release this next generation. Don't think, well, I'm old, and so it's, so it's too late. If you're still breathing, it's not too late. So let's look at the text. Jacob's dying. 
He's 140, as I said. Joseph hears about it, visits his father. I think that, uh, I think Jacob has now been there with the family for some 17 years. When we read this text, we think about these two little boys that come to Jacob with Joseph, his father. That's not the case. They're 18, 20, some say 21 years old. You can do the math. They were born before the famine. Ephraim and Manasseh, and, and you can look at that in Genesis chapter 41. It talks about the birth of Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph married Potiphar's daughter. And so you can read up on that and follow that. But they, they come and they visit Jacob because he's dying. You would do well to acquaint your young people, your children. You do well to acquaint this next generation with older people. Yes. If you don't like older people, there's something wrong with you. You need to repent, and, and you need to slow down. I, I, for the longest time, I was just moving too fast. Mo moving too fast, just like young and dumb. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm just you know, moving too fast to slow down enough. Because when you get older, you have a tendency to move just a little bit slower, talk a little bit slower, spend a little bit time, a little bit more time. And if you're in a rush, as a young person, you'll miss that. As a parent, I'm going to tell you, if you get the opportunity to take your child to go visit a man of God who's passing, or a woman of God who's passing, or to spend time with granddad or grandpa, I'm, I'm talking about, there are people that are older that are very unhealthy. I'm not talking about that. You honor them and you bless them. You don't have to spend a whole bunch of time getting defiled by some dirty old man. Hello? Hello? I'm not, remember, I'm, I, I'm trying, remember, I'm not saying what I'm not saying. I'm saying what I'm trying to say, and hopefully you're understanding. Was that, was that like tongues or something? I told my son over here, and I've told my daughter before, you know, if we ever get a chance to go visit men of God or women of God that have been in our life that are passing on and they haven't passed yet, we're getting there. We're going to do it. I talked to my son about visiting Pastor Jack. Jack O'Mary. Some of you know who that was. Great man of God. Pastor of the Church of God in Palmer for years. Built that building. Had a real move of God. Some of you, some of you, you're more senior here, that he was your pastor. And, and, and really a spiritual father. Amen. I think about when he was passing on how Tammy Choir, Tammy's serving in the back right now, she served tirelessly, day and night, serving that family. Why? Because she wouldn't even have been saved if it wasn't for Pastor Jack. She served. This is a major man of God. Now, when I got to find out, when I've heard about him, I heard about him, then, then I met him. And when I met him, it was like the power of God just kind of fell on us, and I would go and meet him on Thursdays and have lunch. And I would bring my son. And I'd bring my son, and my son still remembers the salmon chowder that he made, still remembers the conversations. Then when he passed away, you know, my son has this memory of this man of God that we went, and he imparted into my son. He spoke life into my son. This is what's happening, except here, Jacob is part of the, their bloodline. So this is granddad. He's dying. And so they come to receive a blessing. I, I want to say that not only should you teach your kids to spend time with the elderly and to honor them, you should teach them about death. Yeah. It's okay to, for kids to see death. I don't mean the morbid way, but if, you're, if we're afraid of bringing them to a wake or something, I think there's a right age. If you're Marshallese, <laughs> you know, different cultures. I, I've seen some stuff like, really, okay, that's like over the top. You know, the kids climb in the, climb in the, in the casket and hold grandma's hand and cry. And so it's like, okay, okay, that's like a little much for me. <laughs> no, but that's how they have it. And they're Marshall East things 24 hours. And, and you know, and it's unusual. Okay, so that, that's a little uncomfortable for me. That's not my culture. But I do think it's good to be acquainted with death because you're going to die. I'm going to die. We all going to die. Right. right? And it's okay. It's, it, that, that, listen, death, death is a natural part of life. It's graduation time. You get to go on to heaven if you're saved. If you're saved. If you're not saved, you're going to hell. Let's move on to the next point. Come on, smile at me. Praise the Lord. So, so Joseph comes. He brings his two sons. They're approximately 20, 18. Some say 18. Some say 19. The youngest was 18. And the oldest was 20. I, I'm not sure how to quite figure that. I tried. I'm just going to say that they're not young boys. All right? And Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. And this is a formal blessing. 
Uh, and we're writing the notes. If you don't have notes, ushers, you could bring that to them. You need to, if you need notes, lift your hand. All right, good. And they are on the app as well. He reminds Joseph that God promised him certain things at Luz. Luz is Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. So when Jacob left, he ran from his home, from Isaac, his father, and from his brother, who he ripped off of his birthright took the birthright from his brother and then ran to Laban's house, Uncle Laban. On his way to Uncle Laban's house, he lies down at this place and it's called Bethel. And he dreams of that place and, and Abraham was there a generation before, two generations before. And he, and he has this dream and God gives him this promise that he's going to bless him, he's going to be fruitful, he's going to increase, and he reminds him of all of that. So let's, let's fill in the promise that he says to him, which Jacob or Israel, how many of you understand it? Raise your hand if Jacob and Israel is the same guy. And so Israel is the name, he gets a name change, it means prince of God. Then Israel, the people Israel, is named after him. There's 12 tribes, which we'll talk about in a second. So he reminds him, He's reminding Joseph and these boys of these promises. And I want to tell you that the promises of God are the basis by which you pray. I have a promise box that was in my mama's house when she lived years ago back in Hana. And I have it. It sits by my, by my chair. I don't always pull out of the 8,000. Some say it's not 8,000. It's 7,500. Whatever, dude. There's a lot. All right? The promises of God are the basis by which you pray. You take those promises and you, you declare them. You proclaim them. You, you pray them back to God. God said, I'll do this. And you say, Lord, you said you're going to do this. The word of God goes forth. It doesn't return void. Praying the word, praying the promises. Listen, you know when somebody spends time in the word when they pray the word. I will tell you, your word is nice and is good. And God knows your frame. He knows you're rising up. He knows you're setting down. But praying the word, praying the word is different than your word. And when you pray God's word, he stands over that thing to see it perform. He's not obligated to perform your opinion or what, he, what you think he should do. He's God. He will perform his promise if you'll stand on it. And many people don't know the promise. Promises. He's saying, hey, God gave me a promise. I'm dying. This is what he said because it's now yours. It's now your promise. And he goes on to say, he's going to make you free. He's going to give you fruitfulness. Fill in the blanks. He's, you're going to multiply in numbers. Your family would grow. And these things happen. You can go examine Israel or Jacob's life. And these things happen for him his whole life. He was always fruitful. He was always multiplying. His livestock multiplied. I mean, God just blessed him over and over and over and over the promise. You see, become a community of people. Oh, well, that's happened. I mean, there's over 70 when they move back, when they, when they move to Egypt, there's at least 70 people there. And now, if you know now, 17 years later, they've multiplied. They're a community of people. Canaan's land would be an everlasting possession. And he tells them that. He's reminding Joseph and his sons that he's been blessed, and he's been blessed by God, and this multi-generational vision is being passed on as he goes on into glory. Now, let me say that if you're not passing it on all of your life, it's going to be hard to do it at the moment of your death. This is transference. Listen, transference is real. I recently got shocked. Has anybody been electrocuted before? <laughs> I remember years ago, the worst one I can remember is somehow... The, the, the wires came out of a lamp by my bedside. I mean, I can tell you, I, I think I was 16 years old. And it was like my light didn't work. I'm thinking the, the cord came out. Well, the cord came out of the light. So it's still plugged into the wall. And I'm like, man, where's the cord? And I, I feel it. And so I'm running my hand to get to the end. Yeah, I got to the end. Nah! Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it bit me as, as what's his face said? Some movie guy. Oh, no, that's getting shot. I've been bit. <laughs> Forrest. Run Forrest, the movie. Yeah, okay. 
There's a transference. Transference in electricity is very real. Transference in the spirit is very real. Demonic transference is real. Somebody say, I wanted to pray for someone and one of your ushers stopped me. And that's because we don't know where your hands have been. Well, you can pray for anybody you want out there, but here we've got some protocol. And that's why when we pray for the sick, we've got people that have been trained. I've seen crazy stuff. There can be a, there can be a transference. And you don't, want a, you don't want a demonic transference. You want a transference of God's power and glory. Come on, somebody say amen. It says, I believe it's in, uh, it's in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. It says, it says that Joshua was filled with wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. Moses laid his hands on him. As a result of Moses laying his hands on Joshua, he had wisdom. In other words, there would have been no wisdom unless he laid his hands on him. And I think there's deeper meaning. I think there's, there's a mentoring that took place that's encompassed in the laying on of hands. So there's this transference that's about to happen. And he adopts Joseph's sons. This is fascinating. He adopts them. He says, your son are now mine. I mean, when I read that, I kind of got ir- I remember when I first read it, I got, dude, the gall. It kind of bothered me, like, how, how could you take Joseph's sons and make them yours? But I, I didn't really understand all those years ago when I first read it. And as I studied it uh, in the preparation of today, it is one of the greatest things that could have possibly happened. So Jacob, Israel, is basically saying, I am going to elevate your sons to sonship in my house so that when inheritance comes, it's not just 10 of you getting the inheritance. It's 12. So there's the the Canaan's land to be broken up. And you can go and look at the land after this. He prophesies all of them and gives them their land and the territories there in Israel. And and perhaps God will allow us to take a look at that. But he he gives them these lands. So this is before that. He's saying, yeah, you're promoted to sonship. So actually, you're not getting a portion of Joseph, your father's stuff. You're becoming my sons. And I'm giving you the inheritance equal with all of these, my other sons. And then that is the 12 tribes of Israel, Manasseh and Ephraim, and now added. He restructures Israel, basically, in that moment. And it really is profound. And he makes Joseph to be the firstborn. Joseph gets elevated and says, you're now taking the place of the firstborn. And the whole order of things changes. Amazing. He talks about Rachel's death. And um, we're not sure exactly why. he. It, it seems like... Why would, he, why would he talk about that? It could be that Joseph had an offense that his mother Rachel wasn't, and this is what some rabbinic scholars say, that Joseph had an offense that his father Jacob or Israel discerned. Why would he be offended at Rachel, his mother, dying and being buried where she's buried? Because she's not buried with the fathers. She's not buried with the family. She got buried by the roadside near Bethlehem. It's interesting to note, though, at the captivity and the return of the captives, they had to walk past that, and they were the, the, the Israel was greatly encouraged that Rachel was buried there, and it's still a place of prayer outside of Bethlehem. We don't know. It's a little, it's a little bit hidden, a little bit of a mystery why he would mention where she's buried. You know, why, Dad, why didn't you take her? Why didn't you take her and bury her with Abraham and Sarah? Why didn't you do that? My mother. It could have been some offense, but he took care of it, and it was that the, it was like the Lord had him bury her there, which is a breaking of tradition. I'm going to tell you, some traditions need to be broken. And so he formally blesses them. Verse 8 is fascinating. Look at verse 8. Are you getting something? All right, going to go a little bit deeper. Hold on. I won't go long, but hopefully going strong here. Verse 8. He formally blesses them, and he says, who are these? Everybody say, who are these? Now, when, let me, the, the language, and the, the, the way this is communicated, there's two ways to look at this. One, it's covenant language. Let me give you an example. Well, I have done 
I can't count all the weddings I've performed as a pastor. And almost in every wedding, although some exceptions, when the, they, they come down, the wedding party's lined up, and here comes the bride, and everybody's standing, the next thing I say, which is tradition, and all of the wedding, all of the traditions of wedding is a picture of that which is in Scripture, the veil, her being hidden, you know, and, 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 and Adam going to sleep, and then the Lord bringing the woman, and so on and so forth. So at almost every wedding, I say, who gives this woman to be this man's beloved wife? Now, I don't say that, or pastors don't say that, because they have no idea who the parents are. We're not saying that because we don't know who any of these people are. That's weird. We know who they are. We know who's good. It's covenant language. It's a, a setting up of bringing everybody before God in oaths and vows. So when Jacob, Israel, says, who are these? It's a setting up of covenant language. The next thing is interesting, which is outside the box. Never heard this before. I've been given some rabbinic uh, commentators' uh, works, and in my studies, I just love reading them. This is interesting. One of the things that's mentioned about this, who are these, is kind of like, how, how can these men, these boys, come before me in blessing? Because the patriarch, all the patriarchs were prophets, so it fits. The patriarch would be seen down the generations, and see from Ephraim would come Ahab. Wow. Ahab's a bad king. Very possibly the worst. And would see from Manasseh would come Jehu and his sons. And, and so it could be that he's just like, who are these? Whoa, okay. And he goes to bless them. Joseph stages the blessing. He comes with his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is the oldest. Ephraim is the youngest. Uh, if you're in your 20s, I need two men. Stand. You're 20. Yep, yeah, that's good. Oh, 18 to 20. 17 to 20. Good. You two guys, perfect. I'm picking you. Right, come here. Come here. Yes, with the hat. Lose the hat, though. Come here. I am absolutely talking to you. Yes, come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, say you can do it. Oh, I need both of you. Here, just run your hand through your... There you go. That's better. All right. How old are you? 17. How old are you? 17. Good. Switch. Abraham, I mean, not Joseph. You're Abraham and you're Joseph. Okay. Here, come here. Come. All right, I'm going to... So this, Joseph, he understands that he's the older, right? And so he's the younger, all right? You're Ephraim, you're Manasseh, for illustration purposes. So Joseph brings them to the aging, partially blinded Jacob, right? I better stand so you can see online. So he brings them before them, and he goes to bless them. This is a stage setup. So he's, and, and the text clearly says, so Joseph brought Manasseh on his left to Israel, or Jacob's right, right? It's my right, your left. And he brings Ephraim to Jacob, or Israel's left. And he's ready for the blessing. So here's what happens. He goes to, so it's all set up. And this is the way it should be, because the oldest gets the firstborn blessing. And the right hand of the patriarch, the right hand is a picture of power, it's a picture of authority, so the right hand would be on the head of the firstborn. But that is not what happens. He sets them up like this, and, and Jacob, or Israel, we'll call him Israel, all right? Israel says, yes! And he does this. Yep. I'm gonna rip my coat if you don't take a step further, come on. He does this, and it's like, what are you doing? What kind of confounded crisscross blessing is that? But he was led by the Spirit yeah. to bless them in this unusual way, and he begins to bless them, and then Joseph says, no, no, Dad, 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 go ahead. Dad, move your hands. Move your hands. <laughs> he says, no, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> How many of you know your aging father knows more than you do? Yes, Dad. <laughs> and he submitted, yes, Dad. <laughs> I think I just spit on you. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. <bro. laughs> and he blesses them. So I just want you to get the picture of that. And he reverses them, basically shifting the firstborn. Good job. 
Shifting, put your hands together for these two spiritual giants. Shifting the youngest to the place of the oldest and the oldest to second, which is unusual. It's a prophetic blessing. And he blesses them both. And this blessing's fascinating. I want you to look, look with me. Look at verse... Uh, I'm new to the glasses thing. Look at verse 15. Okay, we're going to begin to move quickly because I don't want to take too much of your time today. I will not be going long. You ready? Verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, may the, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. He's praying this blessing and he's basically saying... Uh, that his grandfather and his father obeyed God. To walk with God is to obey God. Anytime you see that he walked with God, Enoch walked with God until he was no more. It's a picture of obedience. It's a picture of abiding. It's a picture of living for him as your first and foremost love. And, and he shifts the emphasis after this, and he says, and God who's been my shepherd, he begins to give God glory all the days of my life. He's saying that God's shepherd, he's my deliverer, verse 15. And he goes on to say, and the angel who has redeemed me from all the evil blessed the lads. He's, now, he's not praying to angels. Let me just correct this because this drives me nuts. Don't you ever pray to angels. You don't ever call on angels. Stop it today. Don't call on angels. But don't, don't, don't angels give us protection? Yep, they do. Don't, 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 aren't there angels that bring healing? Yep, 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 they bring healing too. Aren't they, are they messengers of flames or fire? Don't, doesn't God use angels? Oh yeah, he uses angels. But you're not supposed to talk, like, you're not supposed to pray to them. You pray to God. He is the one that commands angels. So, you know, Lord, I need some help right now. Lord, I need some healing right now. And he's like, no problem. Angel. But you don't go, angel. No. And you don't worship them. And, and I wouldn't even talk to them unless they're talking to you. And usually you're feeling like you're dead on the floor unless it's, unless it's an angel from hell. And then you're standing there having a conversation. Then you're talking to a demon probably. Because right. every manifestation of an angel in scripture, the people that have the, 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 the appearance are as dead. And the angel's like, it's all right. And they tap you and you receive strength. And you're like... You know, it's not like, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up, man? How's the throne? What's up? What's up? I just want to talk to somebody. You do something for me. My neighbor, he's really giving me a hard time. You go hook him up. You go neuter him or do something. Because. Now, you talk to God. You let God send the angels. So. <laughs> he's, he's not commanding angels, but he's saying, I've been protected by a divine protection, and the angel delivered me, and, and, and may you bless these boys. Wow, so it's kind of, it's really amazing. And he goes on to tell them that, that, that they're going to be called by his name. Are you all there? May they be called by my name. Now, this is interesting. It's interesting because what he was doing was he's imparting into these two and his son Joseph, these two now adopted, I should say three, these three sons of his, he's imparting into them this. Egypt is not where you set your claim. Egypt is not where you put your hope. You are not from this place. You will leave this place. You are called by my name. We, will we have the promised land is ours. You're passing through. I know you might like the leeks and, and the garlic, but you're going through to the promised land. You are going to be called by my name. He's giving them an identity. So many people don't have their identity in the kingdom. So they embrace this earth. 
They embrace Hollywood. They embrace all kinds of things to try to comfort themselves. Jesus said, do not rejoice that angels or uh, demons are subject to you, you in my name. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You are going to pass through this place. It is a test. Nay, about 70 year, 80 year, 90 year, I'm going for 120. But it's a test. It's an internship. One day you're going to die. When you die, you move on to the real thing. This is just school. It's an internship. And if you set your heart to embrace the things of the world, you set your, listen, if you teach your kids to get all wealth and, and money, I think it's okay with becoming wealthy as long as wealth doesn't have you. It's good. May God prosper us like that. But if you can't give it away, you don't possess it. It possesses you. Trying to help you. If you have lots of possessions and you're wealthy, praise the Lord. Truth is, if you have $17 in the bank, $17. If you have $17 today, that's all. Just $17. Then you're in the top 25% of the wealth of the world. So let's, let's get this straight. But if you teach your kids to count on that and that's what success is, if you teach your kids that success is getting money, getting fame, getting fortune, you have cursed your children. And I'm going to tell you something. Success has nothing to do with the amount of, I am on something. I can feel it. Success has nothing to do with how much money you make. It does not have anything to do with how much influence you have. It has nothing to do with how much worldwide impact, how many missions trips you've done, how much money you've accrued, how many houses, how much land. It has nothing to do with any of that. That's the love of the world. The love of the world grows with, in, with influence, with fame, with fortune, with money, with better looks, whatever that means. You know, 400 pounds used to be voluptuous and really attractive. Now we call that fat. Just saying. I do think maybe when we get to heaven, we're just going to be huge. It'll just be like, yes, we can eat anything we want. <laughs> Teach your kids what real success is. Real success is being who God says you can be, doing what God says you can do, and having what God says you can have. Real success is in the end, in the end. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well, how much money do you have? He doesn't say, well, how many, how many lives have you? Have, how big is your ministry? Now, souls, we can bring that with us. There's things that we can do. But well done, a good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear. Be faithful. Be good. Be a servant. See how big a heart you can get for God. Success in the world has nothing to do with success in the kingdom. And when I was in my 40s, I will tell you, it took me a long time to figure this out. When I was in my 40s, I was tormented by the fact that I wasn't a successful pastor. And I'm just pastoring a church of 100 people. And I said things like, Lord, if it's never going to grow beyond 100, I'm going to sell cars. Because my God, I need to have a mega church. Can I tell you, I got pared down to zip. And he began to show me what real success is. It has nothing to do with how big your church is, how big your business is. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. So teach your kids what real success is. Otherwise, they'll feel like a failure if they don't get to the mark. They don't get the multiple houses. Now, you might end up with all of that. Amen? Yeah. But do you tell me if, if, if Mother Teresa, and she was totally unsuccessful. She died with nothing. Was she unsuccessful? No. My gosh, she pioneered, pioneered a movement in, in Calcutta, which is like the armpit or worse in the earth. Well, I'll get off my soapbox for a second. <laughs> Let them be called by my name. Don't you embrace Egypt. It's okay to embrace Egypt to release the wealth for the kingdom, and that's what Joseph did. But his identity wasn't in it, even for Joseph, so much so that he is, he is honored in, in Hebrews 11 for that Joseph, by faith, said that when I die and you leave and return to Egypt, take my bones with you. Do you know why? Because he's saying this, Egypt's not my home. My home's in the promised land, and that's the way you need to live, eternity-minded, viewing that this is not your home you're passing through. You be good, you be faithful, you walk with God, you obey God, the blessings of God will flow through you, but don't be too attached to these things. You can't drag your Harley with you, Bubba. You can't bring that thing up to heaven. You can't bring all your money with you. Relationships, those things make a difference. So he did it to keep their eyesight, called by my name, keep their gaze, not on Egypt, but in the promised land, on the promise. Let's hurry. May they be honored. May they increase greatly. 
And I love this, this is still used today. I've been blessed with this blessing myself, that they would be so blessed that anyone in Israel, when they see somebody and they want to pronounce a blessing over them, they say, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. May you be so blessed. You're like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's still used today. And it comes from this. You'd be just so blessed that you just, man, you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Come on, someone say, I'm like Ephraim and Manasseh. Go ahead and say it. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you like Ephraim. And look at your other neighbor and say, you like Manasseh. It would be a mark of blessing for all of Israel. And and I'm telling you, it is still to this day. They still use that blessing. You can go to Israel, talk with somebody who's Jewish, and that way they understand that. Oh, you'd be like Ephraim and as you're blessed. And he gives them his own personal property, and then we'll apply this quickly. And again, he gives them his own personal property in verse 22 in Canaan. And again, it's, why would he do that? So that they would set their face toward their promised land. It's something about, I do believe there is something about having property. I do believe it's important for people to own property. I do believe it's important for you to, to own something. You know, wherever we put a church, we don't we rent, but we're as soon as we can, we're putting a stake in the ground of our own. You know, we own that land. That land's ours. Yeah. Why? Because we're saying, we're not, what were he saying by doing that? We're not leaving. We're staying here for multiple generations. We're going to see this thing through, even though he might be coming in the next. Any second now. He could come at any moment. All right. How to develop multi-generational visionaries. Every one of us here, whatever your age, you're going to have influence. And whether you have kids or you have spiritual children, all of us, this applies. The first one is obey God yourself. Some of you think you can do whatever you want. It's not going to affect the next generation, not going to affect your family. Well, that's like taking a, a big dip in your cesspool. And you're in a sewer pipe and coming out and pretending you don't smell. No, you smell. Every devil in hell knows what you're doing. God knows what you're doing. And if you think that's not going to be passed down onto the next generation, the, the devil is the biggest legalist around. And if he has legal rights to touch you and touch your family, you better believe he will. And he'll pass that down to generations if he's able to. So it's not just, you know, if you just think myopically and selfishly, I can do what I want to. It's dark. My family's sleeping. It's me and my computer. And I can just do what I want to, then you're a moron. That's a special kind of stupid. That spirit will attack you and will attack your kids. Your same kids will battle that spirit of lust that you battled, and you'll deal with that stuff. You'll deal with the greed in the next generation. You think you can do whatever you want to. You think you can disobey, and it's not going to affect them. Oh, no. It will affect them absolutely. Somebody say, wow, praise the Lord. But in the same way, in the same way, blessings are passed down too. And so when you sacrifice and put your flesh down and serve the Lord and read the word and fast and pray and give and be like Cornelius. Come on, you got that corn spirit? Did you miss that? When, when, you, when, you do, when you do your best like that, it makes a difference, and you'll stand before God, and I'm going to tell you what the judgment seat makes every second of your life count. Every second, every time you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live for God. It's like, yes. yes. Gives glory to God, and he'll reward you, actually, in heaven. I don't even know what that means. So the first thing, if we're going to develop multi-generational visionaries and people that walk in the promises of God, you've got to do it yourself. You've got to obey. Everybody say, I've got to obey. I've got to obey. The second thing is boast on what God has done for you to your children. I love testimonies. I love telling testimonies. I love telling stories. My kids know just about every story of my life and my wife's life, and they know stories of the church. They'll never forget. I hope. Remember, spiritual amnesia, it's bad. Never forget standing in the barn. Up to our calves in debris. Places totally bone apart. Never forget standing there and God speaking and say, I'm going to give you the land back. And I told him right then. Totally impossible for that to happen in my own mind. But I tell him, God just spoke to me. God's going to give us the land back. 
And then by a miracle of God, we got the land back. And now we're building this building. I'm mean, just telling you, those things, those brag on God. Boast about what the Lord has done for you, your family, the healing, the deliverance. Boast about it. Talk about it. Shout about it. Oh, I remember one time I didn't have any money and God can't. I remember I had a broken neck and I got healed. I remember one time I didn't know which way to go and God spoke to me and bam, fried chicken. I remember another time where I was freezing to death out on the, the Glen Highway and I called on God ah! and he came through and I didn't die. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> Boast on what God has done for you and your to your children. Make sure they know it. Amen. And we can't pass our faith on. I'm almost done. Please, just a couple minutes. I'm finished. We can't pass our faith on. Each person must develop their own faith in God. You can't ride mom and dad's coattails into faith. You can be imparted into. You can be trained. But you are going to have to choose for yourself. There's only first generation sons and daughters. Can we say it that way? Yeah. See, the only way that you can make it to heaven is by making a decision yourself. You, you, you can't get brought in because your mom served God with her hair on fire or her dad or your dad with her, his hair on fire. No, you have to choose. You have to choose, and they're going to have to choose too. And you teach them that. Speak blessings over your children. Speak blessings over your children. You know, I have uh, in my office a picture of one of my distant relatives. I mean, I don't even know how many generations ago it was. It's an oil painting from the 1700s, I think. And uh, it's in my office right now. It's been in every office since it was given to me. And I am, by the, by the glory of God, I know that I wouldn't be where I'm standing right now if it wasn't for 11, 11 generations of pastors and ministers. I'm the 12th. Oh, I bucked that and kicked against it for a while, but God got a hold of me. I'm the 12th generation minister, preacher, reverend in my family. That's amazing. Now, I say that not to boast. I know what kind of weakness I have, and my wife knows even more. We all have issues. I'm not saying that other than to say I'm aware that what I'm standing in, what I'm walking in is far beyond my effort and my the grace that's on my life. It's the prayers of generations. There's a generational synergy. You say, well, my dad didn't serve the Lord and my mom was, you know, and, and I don't come from that. Well, you can come from that now. And, and you can get adopted. You can get adopted and grafted in and you can change your life, change your family. There's no excuses before the Son of Man on that day. You can talk about how you did and how you did. Every, God has given us everything we need for life and God. And it's the same Holy Spirit that raised the dead can raise you up, heal you, set you free. There's going to be no excuses on that day. And all of us, you know, the blessings of God did come down to a thousand generations. Forget about 12. How about a thousand? You say, well, the Lord's coming back. Yeah. Yeah, he's coming back. When? I have no idea. But this is the last generation. How many of you know that? Because you're going to die. I'm going to die. This is the last generation for you. You live like he's coming back. Be an example of faith. Speak blessing over your children, your children's children. Camps are important. Laying hands on your kids are important. I remember when we found out that we were pregnant with Hannah. The instant, immediate response as we looked at the little stick was, oh, thank you, God. And then we went, I went right down and laid hands on my wife's womb. She's my wife. I can do that. I laid hands on her belly. Little piece of rice, size of rice right about that time, I guess. We prophesied. We prayed. Going to be blessed. Going to be healthy. I mean, we, we prayed. You know, we prayed over her teeth. i never seen a person that has straighter teeth in my life than my daughter. It's amazing. You know, we prayed for her teeth like almost every day. We prayed. <laughs> we prayed. We prayed. We prayed. Come on, you give God. Somebody, and if you prayed for your kid's teeth and they came out crooked, well, glory to God. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying. Well, we prayed blessing. I've blessed my children every day of their life. I bless my wife, and they bless me. 
Learn to bless. Learn to lay hands on your family and pray for them. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for the gift that she is. Thank you that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I found a good thing and received favor from the Lord. Oh, I have favor because God gave me my wife. Can I tell you, men, you want to have revival in your marriage? Lay hands on your, I mean, spiritually, lay hands on her. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. Lay hands on her and pray. Thank you. Thank you for the gift he's given me. Thank you for the gift that you've given me. Thank you for the, thank you for the, the, the joy that you gave me and my beautiful wife. And you thank God for her. You thank God and you bless her. And you tell her you'll never leave her. And you do everything you can to serve and bless. Ladies, you do the same thing. Do it with your kids. One of the most profound turning points in my life. Oh, Jesus, help me. 30 seconds. All right, 60 seconds. I had a man of God. I've really got two spiritual fathers. Dr. Morocco and another man by the name of Kit Lauer. Kit Lauer went to go to be with Jesus. When I first got saved, I would go to his house. I couldn't breathe another breath. I didn't want to live, but I know there was no choice but to continue to hold on. I would come to his house. He'd counsel me, pray for me, and I would leave feeling like I could conquer the world and fulfill destiny. Years go by. He becomes a pastor. I become a pastor, and we would meet and gather and, and talk about those times. And he would say this, boy, you were so broken. I said, yeah. And I just said, I would, I would cry because if it wasn't for him, I, I, I don't know if I'd be here. And he said, you know, my wife and I, we, Shelly, we would talk about when you would leave. Sometimes you looked like an angel when you left. Your face would glow and you'd have this radiance. And I remember those times just be like, I'm going to live for God. You know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? He contracted leukemia. I think I've got 60 seconds left. Is that right? He contracted leukemia and had a fast-moving disease. They prayed for him, and, and he was, he was going to die. I, I took a plane, went there, went to go see him. He was so weak, and he couldn't wake up. He's going to die like any day. Couldn't wake up, and I went to go see him. I was with somebody else from Alaska. They said, he can't see you. He's not awake, and he really doesn't get up now. I said, okay, and I left, and we went and prayed. I thought, God, that's impossible. I need, I need to talk to him one more time. I need to thank him one more time, and I want him to bless me. And I went back. I prayed. I felt like that's it. Went back, and boom, he's up like a daisy. They said, well, he hasn't been up like that in days. He comes up. I said, kid, I love you, and I thanked him. He said, I love you too. I'm so proud of you. And uh, he said, I need to sit down. He sat down, and I knew what I was there for. I was there for one thing. I was there, one, I wanted to hear what God was saying to him, and two, I wanted the blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is real. And if you've never gotten that, then thank God you're a part of this church. You, you can get it through the spiritual fatherhood, fathers that are here. And if you don't have a spiritual father, I'll be one to you. I'd love to. I'd be honored. It'll bring healing to you. You need to have somebody to speak life over you, that you're a good, a, a great man. Oh, you're the son I always wanted. You're the daughter I always wanted. Every one of us need to hear that. And it's true. And he said, oh, oh, I'll bless you. And he knew, I knew, he knew. We had done the studies of Gary Smalley and the blessing. And all that. we knew exactly what was happening. I got on my knees and I began to weep. He took my head and prayed over me for I do not know how long, but I do remember my entire head being soaked in water. And I remember the puddle on the ground with his washing my head with his tears as he wept over me, prophesied over me, and declared that God was going to do something through my life. And I remember just shaking under this power, and my hearing broke. I don't even know what he said. I want you to love to pull out your iPhone and record it, but I have no idea. But I know it's recorded in heaven. And I know when I got up from my knees, his strength was done. He went to lie down, and he died a week later. And I got up off of, that, off of that patio. We were outside. And I was just like everything swirling and hazed and foggy. I said, thank you. He said, I love you. He said, I've got to go. I said, I know. i got to go too. And I walked out that place. My life changed. Don't you underestimate the blessing at death. But you need to do it throughout your life to raise up and release multi-generational visionaries and world changers. Lastly, penultimately, let them know that God has a purpose for them, believe with them, and lastly, elevate them. You get a chance to raise your kids up, do it in a second flat. I put my daughter on the platform singing when she was how old? 11. Why? Because I can. And she could sing. 
and she was prophesied to be a worship leader and all kinds of stuff. And when I got that, I actually got rebuked because I didn't want all 11-year-olds up on the, so he said, well, that's, that's, that's not right, bull. You get a chance to raise up your kids. You know what's crazy is that you would have a business and you'd be doing something successfully and you not help your kids do the same thing at some level. You boost them, you elevate them, you do everything you can to give to them and get them going and successful and walking in destiny and purpose. Can you say amen? Stand up on your feet. Come on, put your hands together for God. Come on, lift your hands and ask God to help you to be a multi-generational visionary, to raise up the next generation. Father, right now, Lord, forgive us for where we've fallen short as fathers and mothers. Forgive us for where we might have grieved you and not been sensitive to those Holy Spirit moments of impartation and training. And help us, God, to never miss those moments again. And that we will, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the call, pour into our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Lord, we will fulfill the passing that you've known us in order that we may instruct and teach our children in the way of the Lord, in righteousness and justice, that you may bring about the vision, the promise that you've given to us and even all of your people. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. May none of our kids be seduced by Egypt. May they be so enthralled by your beauty and the promise of your land, of the promised land, and the, the wonders of heaven and living forever. God, put it in them. I break off the assignment of wealth and greed. I break off fear. I break off every life that having all of that brings satisfaction. It does not. Only you bring satisfaction and fulfillment. And when we seek first your kingdom, you add all those things, yes. But we will not make them idols before you. As parents, as children, we commit our way to you in your hand. And we thank you and we praise you. Can you say amen? Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.